0: Good evening to everyone. Before we get into tonight's Bible study, I'd like to read to you just two verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And every time I read them, I think of this church. So I'm going to get my farewell out of the way at the beginning. Because at the end, I want everybody to be thinking not about what I say, but about what God's Word says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you brethren that you increase more and more. When he says, you don't need, the Apostle Paul says, you don't need for me to write to you anything. He thought about the church in Thessalonica. He said, well, I'm going to write something about brotherly love, but I don't need to. I don't need to teach you about brotherly love, he said, because God already taught you. You are taught of God to love one another. And isn't that really a description of every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? You are taught of God to love one another. That's not a lesson you can go to community college and learn. And you can't learn it in Sunday school class. If God doesn't teach it to you in your heart, if the Holy Spirit doesn't put the love of God in your heart, pour it out there, and it's not ever going to be there. But, this is like the church in Thessalonica. You are taught of God to love one another. And all I can say is thank you, Lord, and thank you to all of you for your love. But increase, abound more and more Amen. until the Lord comes. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me tonight to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Going to read the first four verses. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, the word of the Lord says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him. In glory, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this evening we come, we gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we come into your presence in his precious and blessed name. And we pray that he would be exalted and glorified here among us tonight. We pray that he would have the preeminence in all things, beginning with us, with each of us as individuals, in our heart, in our family, in our church, in everything about us, that he would have the preeminence in all things. And we pray that we would be taught, as we look into the scriptures, we would be taught by the Holy Spirit far beyond any human voice. We would hear thy voice, O Lord, speaking to us through the scriptures. Touch our hearts as we have sung, and change us, we pray, for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray it in his name. Amen. 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 I want to speak with you tonight, ask you to think with me about the practical effect of the resurrection. You're going to get your Easter message in October. I'm not one of these anyway. I'm not here at Easter, so I'll just go ahead and have to give it now. I'm not one of these to spend an Easter message giving all these intellectual reasons and apologetic studies about why the resurrection has to be believed and all the proofs of it and all of those things. They're all there. They're all there. And all you have to do to be convinced of the resurrection is read what the New Testament says. If you don't believe that, you're not going to believe any arguments that any preacher gives you. But I look around today, and I wonder if a lot of people that call themselves evangelicals really believe in the resurrection. We say we do. It's part of the Apostles' Creed. A lot of people here might not even know the Apostles' Creed, but that's okay. It's in here, and we say we believe it. We preach it when we preach the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 gives it to us, the first four verses. But do we really believe it? And what effect does the resurrection have on our life? There are a lot of walking dead people. A lot of people that are like the night of the living dead. A bunch of zombies walking around. Saying that they believe one thing with their mouth and their whole life shows that they're still like they were in Ephesians chapter 2 when it says, you are dead in trespasses and sin. You have God made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin." And people who have been made alive in God are dead to sin now. But people who haven't been, made, haven't been made alive by God are alive in sin and dead to God. You can't have it both ways. You can't be alive to God and alive to sin at the same time. If you then be risen with Christ, he says, seek those things which are above. There are two things here that a Christian is supposed to do in these verses. He says, seek things that are above, and set your affection on things that are above. And that sums up everything that he has to say to them in these first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. This is what the Christian does. This is how the Christian thinks. This is where the Christian looks. This is where the heart of the Christian is. Set your affection on things above. Seek things which are above. And he lifts up our view away from the world with all of its lures and entertainments and enticements and he says if you're really risen with christ look up there forget this world because it's going to be burned up the scriptures declare very clearly that the earth and all the works that are in it will be burned up and anyone who's building and trying to grab for all the gusto here in this life is living excuse me for saying so living like a fool arranging the deck chairs and painting the Titanic as it goes down. The earth and all the works that are in it will be burned up. So he says, look up. Look up. The way to ruin a Christian life, the way to ruin a Christian church, the way to ruin a Christian marriage and family is to get your eyes off of the Lord and get them down on the world And all of the things that are in the world around us there's no quicker path to ruin and disaster than to get your eyes off of the Lord and off of heaven and off of glory and onto the things in this world. And that's exactly what the devil did. When he went into the Garden of Eden, what happened there? The first thing he did with Eve was he got her to look at the fruit and to think about the fruit. She wasn't looking to the Lord. She wasn't looking to her husband. She never asked him what he thought she ought to do. And she looked at that fruit and it says she looked at it and it was pleasant to the eyes and to be desired to make one wise and she took it and ate it. She was looking at the things below. She didn't live with her eyes on the Lord and she couldn't even remember that one simple verse that he gave him where he told him what to eat and what not to eat. She tried to quote that. if you, if you children tried to quote that in Sunday school your teacher would tell you you needed to work harder on the verse if you quoted it the way she did. And in Ron's class, in Coop's class here on Sunday morning, if people quoted their verses the way Eve tried to quote to the devil, to the serpent, what the Lord had said about eating the fruit, she, you flunked. She flunked. She couldn't even remember that simple verse, that simple instruction that had been given. And she got her eyes off of God and off of his word and got her heart and her affections off of God and his word, his simple instruction, and started looking at that, and the next thing you know, down she went. And Adam, too, no, man, you're not going to get out of this. <laughs> and She got deceived, the Bible says, but the man sinned with his eyes open. He knew what he was doing. And the Lord said, because you listen to the voice of your wife, and that's not always a sin. But when it says something different from what God says it is, see, so Paul says to the Colossians, seek the things which are above. Set your affection on things which are above. This is the way a Christian, a true Christian, looks at life, thinks about life, and lives. Everything that has any importance at all to him is above. It's what's eternal. Now, they, A few years, a few decades ago, 30, 40 years ago, they used to criticize when the liberal movement began to infect evangelicalism, they began to criticize believers who tried to live separated lives and holy lives and live like the old preachers used to tell us. With eternity's values in view, Lord, with eternity's values in view, let me live every day, every step of the way with eternity's values in view. And here came this liberal crowd, and they started saying, Oh, these people are so heavenly-minded, they're not any earthly good. That was their, their phrase The slogan of their campaign. And they were working hard to get people's eyes off of the Lord and off of heaven. And some simple people and simple minds and became so embarrassed that they were being accused of being too heavenly minded. They became worldly minded. And they ruined their churches and they ruined their families and they ruined their own lives. And down go the generations until now. We're raising a generation today that doesn't know the difference between Moses and Noah. They don't even know how to spell separation or any other two or three syllable words, some of them, and much less live it. It's considered a dirty word. Paul says, set your affections on things above. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. Just right over, right next door, Colossians and Thessalonians are in the same neighborhood. First Thessalonians one, nine and ten. Listen to how he speaks to the Thessalonians. And let's see if he taught them to think and to look like he taught the Colossians. Because the Apostle Paul, you're going to find out, just like all the rest of the inspired writers of the scripture, they weren't like the politicians. They don't say one thing in California and another thing in North Carolina or Georgia. They say exactly what the Lord tells them to say, and it's the same message everywhere. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. They themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Here comes the resurrection. Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. When I was growing up, I used to hear the old preachers say this many times, and I think I've told it to you before, but since I'm getting older and forgetful, you're going to have to put up with it and just smile. Only one life. You remember that? It will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And until the day I die, God helping me, I'm going to keep saying it like a broken record. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And these Thessalonians were taught, like the Colossians, to look up. When they got saved, they turned to God from idols. That's the definition of conversion. Conversion is a turning. It's a turning and an inward change. An outward turning and an inward turning. There is no conversion without repentance. You can't keep your idols and have Christ. You can't keep your idols and have God. And some idols are in temples and church buildings. And some idols are in people's wallets. They're like photos. They're, they call them estampas in Spanish. They're, they're drawings, artwork of saints. They're like a playing card size. Some people's idols are in their hearts. Entertainment is an idol. Money is an idol. Cars are idols. Sex is an idol. Want me to keep going? You turned to God from idols. To do what, he says? To serve. To serve the living and true God. That's what all Christians do. He's writing to the Thessalonians. He's not writing to a pastor's conference. He's not writing to a a conference of church leaders and missionaries and all these kind of things, I want you to think when you read the New Testament about how they spoke to every man and every woman in the churches because these messages are meant for everybody who's a true believer. This is the way all Christians were taught. We have this idea today that there's a few people who are committed to the Lord and they're the elite or they're the super committed ones, or the real mature ones, or whatever, and the rest of us just kind of muddle along. That's not it. That's not it. All of these things that they wrote that are so challenging and instructive and draw us toward commitment to the Lord, all of these things were meant for every man and every woman in Christ. And today Christianity in the West has become so soft that it just gives me pain to look at. it and shame sometimes. Like we say in Spanish, me da vergüenza ajena. It makes me feel uh, pain, although I'm estranged from what they're doing, I feel ashamed about it, just looking at it. So many churches where the only thing you can do is get up and tell people nice, warm, fuzzy things about themselves and bring out the puppets and have the theater and have philosophical talks about uh, the meaning of life and and uh, the goodness of love and uh, how to balance your bank account and just whatever it might be like that. But don't you ever dare get into the scripture and start applying it and challenging people. People don't want that. And there's plenty of places they can go because in America, people treat restaurants. Excuse me for saying this, but I was born and raised here. People treat churches like restaurants. If they don't like what they're eating, they get up and go to another one. But it's all serve me, please me, make me happy. I went to this church because of the programs they had for my children and my family. I went to this one because they had a good bus ministry. I went to this one because I liked the music program. And so the churches get into this line of thought, they get onto this wavelength, and they start doing marketing. They start trying to make the churches attractive to people. It becomes like a business. This one's competing with that one. Come to our church, and we'll give you a color TV, we'll give everybody a steak dinner. Come to our church and you can do this and do that. Come to our church. Don't go to singles.com online. Come to our church and find your, your mate for life. They're trying to make the church attractive to the world. The church belongs to Jesus Christ, the true church. It's not supposed to be attractive to the world. Excuse me? not supposed to be attractive to the world. What does it say in the book of Acts? When those people in chapter 5 of the book of Acts saw that discipline that took place when Ananias and Sapphira fell over dead because they simply lied about what they gave in the offering. They fell over dead, first him and then her. And they carried them out and buried them. And what does it say in Acts chapter 5? It says of the rest, talking about the rest of the city of Jerusalem, none dared join himself to them. Oh, that don't sound like what I see going on today. Today, the churches are running out there on the streets with open arms. Please come to our church. Some go to theirs. Come to our church. We have a better this or a better that. I think in some cases we need some blessed subtractions. This is not a competition to see who can build the biggest church. God is looking for people who love his son, the Lord Jesus. God is looking for people who are willing to turn from their sin, from their idols to God. They make the choice, and they turn. They repent, and they're regenerated by the Holy Spirit who comes into them, and they're made to be new creatures in Christ. The old life is gone. I wonder about that, some of you young people. You grew up in the church here, and you learned the talk, and you know the routine, or like they say in the military, you know the drill. You know what's expected of you. Is your heart out there in the world still? You have two faces, one for meeting and one when you're out in your little group with friends and some people, I think, can't even wait to get out there. They're in here recruiting for what they're going to do out in the street later on. That happens in a lot of places. They turned to God from idols to serve the living And true God, it says, and to wait for his son from heaven because the resurrection is true. Every true believer is waiting for the Lord Jesus from heaven. This is where we look. This is where our hope is. And this is why we cannot put our hope in sociology. And this is why we cannot put our hope in psychology. And this is why we cannot put our hope in politics. And we're not looking for the next world leader. And we're not looking for the next president and the next congressman and hoping maybe this one's going to straighten things out. They're not going to straighten things out. The Bible says in the last days, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Like they say in the South, worser and worser. (laughs) Deceiving and being deceived. Things are not going to get better. Our hope is put on someone who's coming, like Mr. McDonald says when they ask him about politics. He says, well, I don't vote because my candidate's not running. And I say, Amen. Mine either. I'm waiting for somebody. I'm waiting for the right man to come along. And he's going to come. God has a plan. Paul preached it on Mars Hill in Athens, and they didn't like it. God has a plan, and he has appointed a day, and a man who's coming on that day to judge this world. And I'm waiting for him. My eyes are on him. To wait for his son from where? from heaven, not from Madrid, not from London, not from Paris, not from Buenos Aires, or Mexico City, or Washington, D.C., or anywhere else. He's coming from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. This is what the church believed. They waited for Jesus Christ. They looked to Jesus Christ. And when he comes to the Colossians, he says... Seek those things which are above. Because those people not only believed in the resurrection, they were resurrected themselves from the dead, from trespasses and sin, from being dead to God, dead to spiritual things. They were raised, if you then be risen with Christ. Who's risen with Christ tonight? I didn't say who raised their hand in a meeting and said they wanted to trust Jesus and join the church. It doesn't say if you joined the church... Set your affections on things above. It says if you're risen with Christ, church membership is not going to get you anywhere. It doesn't matter a hill of beans how many years you've been a member of any church or how well you can recite all the creeds. What matters is if you belong to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you tonight. Are you risen with Christ? I'm not asking you if you have a position, a doctrine, a knowledge, I'm asking you, are you risen with Christ? Because if you're not, you're a loser. You're in a bad way, and time is running out. Seek those things which are above. This is the pilgrim mentality. Coming back to Colossians 3. The pilgrim mentality. This is what was taught to the early church. And we need to get back to that, the early church. We need to live like the pilgrim church. Those first believers who knew what it was to have the power of God in the assembly of the believers, who knew what it was like to have the gospel preached in power, who knew what it was like to live lives filled with the Holy Spirit, who knew what it was like to be outcast to the world all around them and to be living with their eyes on heaven. Their only hope was that Jesus Christ would come and take them home to heaven with him. The pilgrim church, the pilgrim mentality, to be heavenly minded, because that's where we're going to be. We used to sing that. You remember we talked about it before those old hymns and choruses that somehow have been filtered out and gotten lost. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Heaven is my home, away beyond the blue. The angels beckon me through heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home. In this world anymore. Now well, we like to sing that. It's got a catchy tune. You better think about those last words. All those people on that side over there, you better think about those words. And all these people here in the middle too. And all these people right here too, you better think about those words. You feel at home in the world? You feel at home? I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'm just down here passing through. I'm a transient. On my way to a better place. This is why we need to ask ourselves if we really believe in the resurrection like this. You hear what I'm saying? This is why we better ask ourselves this. Because this is the way true Christians think. And the devil attacks us right at this point. He can't ruin the salvation of a true Christian, but I'll tell you what he can do. He can ruin your life and your testimony to the place where you don't have any power, any witness, anything left. You're just like a piece of trash floating around on the water waiting for somebody to rescue you. He can do that. You get your eyes, just like he did to Eve, you get her eyes off of the Lord and off of what he said and onto that start thinking about it set your affections he says on things above because it's a decision that you make each of us has to make that decision you can put your affections anywhere you want to you young fellows you can start putting your affection on the girls if you want to and the girls too I know what all that's about. Uh, They used to take us to me. You remember, you heard my testimony. I didn't get saved until I was 24. I've been to all the Bible camps and all the conferences and all the meetings and the young people, we all sat in a crowd together. You want me to start telling you what we did when we weren't in meetings? You're not fooling me. I know all about that. And I got saved when I was 24. When I realized that I still had control of my own life, that I was doing what I wanted to, that I had talked the talk in front of everybody, and I had all the right words, but my life was rotten because I had control of my life, and I did what I wanted to. But you could have talked to me, and you could have asked me, and I could have given you all the right words about the gospel. And I could have told you my memory verse and told you how many times I read the Bible, because I read it six times from cover to cover before I got saved. But my affections, listen now, my affections, they were right down here. On people and things in this world. That's where they were. And there wasn't any way you were to get my affections on heaven back then and the things above any more than you can get a turtle to fly. It's just not going to happen. I didn't have any wings. Set your affection on things above. And to set your affection on things above then is to have the power from the Lord to say no to the things below. And when temptation comes knocking at your door, you know how temptation gets in? You know what the old preachers used to say? Temptation usually comes in through a door that's been left cracked open a little bit. You shut the door, and then temptation walks down the hall, trying the doors, like my brother said, trying to get in. And when he knocks at the door, you say, just this, the answer is no. That's all. No discussions, no dialogue, no reasoning. The answer is no. Can we talk about this? No. The answer is no. And move on. Set your affection on things above. Matthew 6, 19 and 20, the Lord told them to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. He said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, a lot of people's heart is in their IRS and their. What do, you, what do they call? I don't even. Uh, IRA, yeah, that's it. I don't even know the names of these things because I don't have any of them. The Lord fails me, I'm sunk. Lay your treasures up in heaven. The old brother who's now with the Lord used to say, do your giving while you're living. Then you're knowing where it's going. <laughs> For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is your heart in a strong box? in a safety deposit box, in a bank vault. 1 John 2, 15, the apostle John spoke and he said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father. What part of that don't we understand? Not the of the father but of the world and the world passes away he's warning us again it's a sinking ship it's passing away it's a very fair and attractive thing spread out before you but it's going down it's sinking it's doomed it's a building that has been uh, what's the word they say condemned to be demolished and destroyed and they're just waiting for that big construction ball to hit it and knock it into a million pieces or someone to hit that button and blow those explosives at the bottom and the whole building collapses. That's the world. The world passes away. The things that are in it, it's works, he says. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So set your affections on things above. And it's worse than that. It's worse than that. It's not just a case of being misguided in your affections. Be very careful about this. Make sure you understand it. It's a case of making God your enemy. You might as well have it straight. It's a case of making God your enemy. Because James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever will be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. Never forget, dear brother Darby, said so many years ago, never forget that the world has already given us its opinion of Jesus Christ It nailed him to a cross. Never forget that they crucified him. They nailed him to a cross and that is what the world thinks of Christ. That's what they had planned for him. You don't believe it? Go to the book of Revelation. You're well taught in the book of Revelation. You should know what happens. What does it say? Every eye will see him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him not mourning, desiring for him to come. It's like wailing, oh no, not that. Like I heard a young woman say one time when we were living in Israel and she gave her testimony and she said she prayed, oh God, please help me to find the Messiah. If there's any way possible, please don't let him be Jesus. The happy ending to the story is it was him. She found out it was him and she trusted him as her Lord and Savior. She was given her testimony. People don't want Jesus to come back. The only time they bring up things like that is when they slam it and slur it in their movies and their novels and use the phrases of trying to make money off of it. And some people have made many trips to the bank over that kind of stuff. But the Lord is coming. And when he does, what a sad thing. To be a friend of the world. The world with all of its glamour. All of its cosmetics. All of its superficial philosophy and entertainment. And it's all going to burn up and disappear in a moment of time. And if that's all you're living for, you are the most pitiful person. And you're going to be so sorry one day that you put it all into a gaping hole, into a black hole in space, and nothing is left. Paul says to the Christians, set your affections on things above. John says to the Christians, love not the world. James says to the Christians, friendship with the world is enmity with God. you see how God speaks? This is not my slant on it. This is not my take on it. You're not getting sound bites out of this tonight. This is what God says. He puts it out here in black and white. He gives you two choices. We don't have a big menu. It's him or the world. And those things are in opposition to each other. Don't love the world. It's passing away. The things of God live forever. Everything he has to say about it is in terms of opposites. He's putting them in opposition to teach us and to guide us and to inspire us to make the right choice because people who don't make the right choice ruin their lives and not only their lives but they bring sorrow to the lives of people around them and some of them bring dishonor on the name of God James says friendship with the world is enmity with God look what Paul said to Timothy second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22 just right over a few pages second Timothy Colossians, 1st Thessalonians, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st Timothy, 2nd Timothy. 2nd Timothy, chapter 2. To Timothy he says, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, or love, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There's three things he says for Christians to do. He's talking to Timothy, but beyond Timothy, these things apply to us. And what does he say we should do? First of all, he says flee. And then he says follow. And then he says fight. There's some things you have to run from. Some things you have to stay away from. What happened to Joseph in Egypt when he's serving in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife came up to him and she said, sleep with me. And she got hold of him. He didn't do what a lot of young men do when the young women who start feeling their adulthood start playing around with the boys or vice versa. He didn't do that. He left that outer tunic, that outer robe that he was wearing in her hands, and he took off like a jackrabbit. He was gone. He said, how can I do this thing and sin against God? And he was gone. He put a few healthy miles between himself and her. Flee. It comes up repeatedly in the scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, flee fornication. And you can't flee fornication if you are looking at those pictures on the Internet or you got on the Internet on your cell phone and you think people don't know it and you're looking at them. You're not fleeing it. You're sticking your nose in it. Don't think we don't know about that kind of stuff. But it don't matter what I think or what I know. It don't matter what, what anybody else here thinks or knows. You better think about this. It matters what God sees and knows. And God sees everything. He's everywhere. He knows everything. There's no hiding from him. You go in that bedroom and shut that door and turn on that computer, and God's right in there over your shoulder. He knows everything you're doing. He knows what's in your thoughts. And one day your hypocrisy will be discovered not only before the whole church, but before all the congregation of the redeemed at the judgment seat of God. People who can't flee from sin. Going to find themselves looking at it again on instant replay in the presence of God. Flee youthful lust means also grow up. It's not just talking about those kind of sins, those are the ones we capitalize. It's talking about this whole immature attitude. Always joking and clowning around. Always wanting to spend all of your time playing games and goofing off and hanging out and chilling out. Forget about all of that stuff. And he's saying, grow up. Be a man. Act like an adult. Live with eternity's values in view. You don't doing that, you're throwing away your life. Everybody is given a gift by God. It's called youth. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You're not better than anybody else because you have it. You got given it. I had it one time, and now it's gone. And a lot of the rest of us had it. We had it too, and it's gone. And what counts is what you do with your youth. And I'll tell you what the devil and the world and your flesh want to do with the youth. They want you to throw it away, waste it, throw it away, contaminate it, make it useless and non-productive. God says to flee youthful lust. And he says to follow Who are you going to follow? Righteousness, he says. Faith, he says. Love, he says. Peace, he says. Are you going to follow it? This This is the crowd you're going to run with. I'm afraid some people need to be a little bit more careful about the friendships they make. And you need to be careful about the people who come in looking to carry off a little group of people with them and who want to hang out. And you start hearing them say things in your little group that you know they wouldn't say here in front of the elders or the brothers and sisters in this church. When people talk like that, and they're playing with two decks of cards. You know what you need to do. You're out of there. Color me gone. He says with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. They go off and they start saying, they don't let us go to dances. They don't let us go to discotheque. This is a boring church and they're always watching. When they start talking like that, that's the voice of the devil. That's what that is. You choose your friends carefully. Read the book of Proverbs and you'll see how many times. He gets right into it in chapter 1 of Proverbs. He don't waste any time. Right off the bat, he gets into it about the choice of friends. Who you're going to be with. What kind of crowd you're going to run with. It is so important because your friends and the people you hang around with have an impact. They have an influence on your life. It's either for good or for bad. If they're not leading you closer to God, and we say this a lot of times to the young people in Spain. I'm not just picking on you. You not only need to choose your friends carefully, you need to have friends that are further along spiritually than you are. I have been so blessed in life since I was the age of a young man who just entered the military service at that time. I have been so blessed in life since I became a Christian when I was 24 to have older men who were further along than me to be my good friends. To take me under their wings. They couldn't go out and play basketball with me. And I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to play basketball with you. I came up limping today. (laughs) I still like it. I still got a few moves. (laughs) Not many. But that don't matter. See, that don't matter. The important thing is what they can do with you spiritually. If all you do is hang around with people that all they know is Nintendo, and I don't even know all these others, I can't keep up with it and all they can talk about is the latest movie and the top 40 and all of this kind of stuff, those people are not doing you any good spiritually. They're not bringing you up higher. You're stuck in a rut with people who can't help you at all. You need to make yourself a friend, a woman, you you young women, a woman who is a spiritually minded woman. You need to make yourself a friend. And like they say, you hang with her. You need to find yourself young men, a man who's older than you, who's further along than you spiritually, and you need to hang out with him. You need to learn from him. You're not going to learn anything just by hanging around with people of your own age. You say, oh, you don't, well, I'm not real big on youth groups, to tell you the truth. I'm not real big on them. I, I don't preach against them, but I, and I'll tell you this if that's all you do is hang around in groups like that with people your own age, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere. Thank God for the different groups you have here, that you have people who are older and further along spiritually who are taking care in those groups. But if you're not paying attention to them, if your friends in the group that you meet with are just the ones your own age and not the person who is leading and shepherding in that group, you're missing the point. The church is not here just to provide entertainment for you so you won't go to the discotheque down the road. That's not what it's here for. And if you want to go to the discotheque, you know what I say? Go on. The door's open. Don't let it hit you in the rear on the way out. No, we're not going to get down on our knees and sweet-talk everybody and try to get them to stay in the church. That's not what we're about. If you don't want to be a Christian, nobody here is going to make you be one. But don't come on with this stuff about you believe in Jesus and all of that, and your heart and one of your legs is out there in the world. No, 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 no. I had to give up something. I had to repent from something. I had to turn from something to God. What about you? I know what it's like to live in the world. I know what I'm talking about. I got saved when I was 24. I went to all four years of university unsaved. I know what it's like. I know what the world is like. You want to know what I think of the world? <coughs> now That's not polite and politically correct, I know. But I want to make it so graphic that it sticks in your mind. You've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice. You've got to flee from the things that are wrong. You've got to get up and run from them. Flee idolatry. Flee fornication. Flee unrighteousness, he says. Flee youthful youthful lust. Follow. You find somebody who's living a righteous life. Are your friends living righteous lives? If they're not, you don't follow them. Are your friends living a life of faith, trusting God every day of their lives? If they're not, that's not the kind of people you want to be with. Are your friends living a life of Christian love? I'm talking about love like the world talks about, going around with your lips puckered up all the time, waiting for the next kiss. We're not, that's not love. When that girl tells you she loves you, and when that boy tells you that he loves you, you know what he's really saying? He's saying, I love me, and I want the pleasure of what I'm about to get. And they'll say anything, and they'll jump through any hoop to get it. They'll join the church and get baptized and whatever you want them to do, as long as they get what they're after in the end, because they love themselves. That's not this kind of love. This is the love that loves God. This is the love that comes from God. This is brotherly love. This is holy love. I told the ladies the other day that story, that woman in, in Spain, she came into the meeting. She was a believer, and over there we greet the brethren with a holy kiss, you know, on each cheek. And uh, she, this man came to the meeting. He'd never been there before. He wasn't a Christian, and he saw her come in, and people were kissing her, and he walked up to her, and he said, how about giving me one of those kisses like you gave them? Spanish women are never at a loss for words she shot him down in flames in about two seconds. She said, just like she didn't even blink, she said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't give you one of those because that's a holy kiss and you're not holy. End of discussion. This is holy love here. This is not eros. This is not erotic. This is not sensual love. This is not selfish love. This is holy love, Christ-like love, sacrificing love. God-pleasing love and peace. (sighs) You just see it on the hearts of some people, in the hearts by their face. You see it on their face, what's in their hearts. That's what I'm trying to say, even though I sound confused because I am. (laughs) You look at their face, and it's just written all over it. When they're growing up, they're just happy, playing with their toys. when They get to a certain age, and what happens to that face? I'll take these off because they don't wear most of them. What happens to that face? It goes from distant, <laughs> And you say, hello, and they say, eh. <laughs> what is it that brings on this suddenness?" People say, oh, no, it's just that difficult age. It's called the flesh. <laughs> it's called the flesh. They don't need to go see a psychologist. If you want to know what they need, you come up and ask me after the meeting. But you better start early. You better start early. Some of you might be way behind the power curve already. Flee. Follow, he says, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Make your friendships this way. You choose people as your friends and people that you're going to be with who have a pure heart. What did the Lord say? Blessed are the pure in heart or they will see God. They tell the story of a Buddhist monk. I don't know if he was in Tibet or where, and he came out, and somebody had torn a Bible up, That somebody had given him part of it, and there was a piece of it on the ground. He was just sitting on the ground meditating. The wind blew this little piece along, and he picked it up, and he saw it, and it had writing on it, and he read it, and all it had was that out of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That man ended up getting saved Because he read that, and he knew, even though he was the monk, he knew that his heart was rotten, and he couldn't continue that way. And it led to, that wasn't it, he didn't get saved right there, but it was a chain of events, and he went, and he listened to the gospel, and he read the Bible, and he ended up becoming a Christian. But that's where it all started. So don't tell me that if your heart is not pure, it's okay, you're just a carnal Christian. You're a what? You're a what? Do you know what Romans 8 says about that? Don't come on here with that. You know what Romans 8 says? To be carnally minded is death. Somebody knows it. To be carnally minded is death. You know, like, the wages of sin is that, that kind. There are not going to be any goats in heaven. Carnal as a goat. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What about your friends? Do you ever hear your friends pray? Do you ever hear them call on the Lord? Do you ever hear your friends testify to other people? They use the name of the Lord and witness, using his name to other people? What kind of friends do you have anyway? And you parents, what kind of friends do your children have? What kind of friends do they have? Well, you know, I don't want to push them. I don't want to obligate them. Are you really going to recite those same old lame excuses and trot them out of the barn again and parade them around in front of God at the judgment seat? God gave you those children. They need to be raised for him. They need to be raised for him. What did he say? That woman, what did she say to Moses' mother? And she placed him in her arms and said, Raise this child for me, and I will give you your wages. And God says that to every Christian mother and father in whose arms He puts a child. When God gave you a child. He said to you on that day, Raise this child for me, and I will give you your wages. Amen. And unfortunately, some of us have raised them for the world. We raised them for the world. What a sad thing. And they don't bring them to church because they don't want to obligate them. What if we applied that instead to football? And we said, don't, I don't take my children to any football games. But I don't let them go to any football games. I just keep them at home. They don't go to any stadiums or, or any gymnasiums. They don't watch any sports because when they grow up, I want them to choose for themselves. It's some of the most ridiculous things. They'll say it about Christianity and about the Bible. No, I wouldn't go to churches because, uh, you know, there's some hypocrites there, and all they want is your money. What do you think the NFL wants? (laughs) I mean, get off it, really. What do you think they want? And I'll tell you what. I know enough about this church to know this church doesn't want your money. Don't be waiting for the hit because you're not going to get hit up for it. The scripture teaches that every man should give, every believer. If you're not a believer, God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want it. Keep it. Yes. Keep all of it. Don't even think about giving a dime or a penny, because he doesn't want it. Amen. But the believer, because he has been saved and because he lives for God and the things of God, he gives to the Lord. He invests. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. In the Greek, we don't need to know Greek, but I happen to know this word. And you might as well know it too. And you'll remember it because it's real easy. The word for cheerful is the word hilarious. Hilarious. And we don't want to be irreverent, but it's almost like saying, yuck it up when you're giving. (laughs) that's, That's not what it means is you should enjoy giving to the Lord. That's the best investment you can make. People listen when E.F. Hutton speaks, or they listen when Paul speaks and gives these instructions, when Jesus Christ speaks, when the Word of God speaks. Choose your friends carefully. He says, flee youthful lusts, follow righteousness, etc., with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Is that what we're doing? Is that what you're doing tonight? Have you set your affections on things above? Not on things on the earth? Because I'll tell you this. The Lord can tell whether we have done it or not by our actions, by our behavior. Because if your affections are on the things above, then that's what you're going to be looking for. Seek that which is above. How can I seek things that are in heaven? I've got to study for a test tomorrow. Well, Proverbs puts it this way. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The Lord puts it this way in Matthew. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You can't get it backwards and have success in this life. You can't seek the things and do it your way and then bring God along like a little pocket medallion and ask him to bless you in what you do. That ain't the way it works. Set your affections on things above, he says. Seek that which is above. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. That's what the true believer is looking forward to. And it isn't a wonderful thing to be a part of a church that's looking forward not to appearing in some magazine or appearing at some convention. It's not trying to make a name for itself down here on this earth. It's looking forward to appearing with the Lord in glory. With the Lord in glory. And that's why Paul says it again in another passage. We'll take up on another, another day and another time. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 58, he says the same kind of thing to him. He says, "Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord." And that's the resurrection chapter. That's the resurrection chapter. That's verse 58. That's the end of the chapter. He came along all those 57 verses talking about all the different aspects of the resurrection. Now he gets to the conclusion of verse 58. Therefore, he says, this is what I've been telling you all of this for, so that you would set your affection on things above and live for things that matter in eternity, not on things on the earth, he says. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He didn't say always trying to make it to the meetings of the church. Some people think they just come to the meetings, they're being a good Christian. He called all the Corinthian believers to be abounding in the work of the Lord. And God calls every single one of us who is a believer in him tonight to be serving the Lord. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ who delivered us from the wrath to come. That's what I'm living for. I'm looking forward to that day. Only one life. I've buried people younger than you young people sitting here. I'm not trying to single you out, but you're the youngest ones I see near here or over here. I've seen people buried younger than you. You don't know how long you have to live. I'm not picking on anybody, but I'm warning everybody. You don't know how long you have to live. You cannot afford to put off till tomorrow, beginning to live with eternity's values in view. Only one life will soon be passed. Suppose you went into eternity tonight. Would you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Are your sins forgiven? Is he the Lord of your life? Are you ready to meet him? Is he going to have his arms open to receive you, or is he going to tell you to sit over there and wait for judgment? Not here, I'm saying over there, you know, don't get worried over here. (laughs) You can worry if you need to. The Lord is coming soon. Oh, people been saying that ever since the days of the Apostles. that's right, and that's why he's coming soon. That's why he's coming soon, because it's winding down. I really don't know how much longer this world can go. It'll go as long as the Lord lets it, and I'll tell you this: The early church believed that the resurrected Jesus Christ could come at any moment, at any moment and take them to glory with Him. The trumpet sound, the voice of the Lord. And off we go. Not like the air force into the wild blue yonder. But to meet Christ, to meet the Lord in the air. Are you ready to do that tonight? And if he doesn't come until the end of tomorrow, will you live tomorrow with eternity's values in view? Will you live between now and when he comes? I'm asking you tonight to make that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm asking you tonight to search your heart in his holy presence to see if you really belong to him and if you're going to go up with him, to be sure about it because he is surely coming. I'm asking you tonight on the authority of the word of God to set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. I'm asking you tonight to break every relationship and every affection with things on this world, things that are passing away, anything that displeases God any friendship that displeases God, any association that displeases God, any activity that displeases God, public or private or secret, break it. Turn away from it. And seek the things which are above. Because in the final analysis, that's all that will be left. May God help us to apply his word. And let's pray. As we come into your presence again, Our Heavenly Father, how few but how powerful are the words that we have read in the Scripture tonight, and how we long to see them applied in our lives, and in the lives of our loved ones, and in the lives of our friends. And we do pray for the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our hearts to help us remember these things. We know what the devil does. When the word has been sown, he comes along to pluck it up before it can root and bear fruit. We pray that you would turn him away from doing that. And that your word, only your word, not man's word, not my word, your word would become deeply rooted in our hearts and have a practical effect on the way we live, our personal lives, our marriage, our family lives, the church and the testimony of the church and all of its activities, that you would truly be, as we have seen in this past week, Lord of all that we are and do. May it be so. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Before we leave uh, this ends our series with our <coughs> brother and he's leaving tomorrow and if the Lord spoke to your heart tonight, whether you're a Christian parent or a young man who's not living or a young woman who's not living according to God's will please don't leave this place before coming forward and talk to Carlo or myself, or any of the elders here. I want my life to be changed. I want to repent. I want to quit what I'm doing. I want God to change me. Because, as our brother said, the Lord is coming soon. And we better get ready. Don't leave this place the way you came. If you need the change that God wants you to make, please do that. And... God bless you and be with you. Let's pray for his safe return back home. And until next year, pray that we'll be able to have him next year, sometime in October, and uh, we'll again rejoice and hope he sees more consecrated women and men, more devoted church and more committed Christians for the Lord Jesus Christ. The meeting is over, and God bless you. If you have any questions, if you need to talk, To call, he'll be sitting there. Come over and talk to him. And God bless you all. See you Wednesday at 7.30. God bless you.